Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by John Cox. I really appreciate everyone tuning in. If you are a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by John Cox. John, if it's all right, I'm going to allow you to introduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick Show audience, if you could, please. How old is John Cox? Where are you from? What do you do? What should we talk about? What... You know, what, what's going on with John Cox? So, I am 37 years old, and I began my journey, we're going to talk about today, as just like a concerned citizen, father, coach, parent, you know, whatever, you know, whatever in this political journey. Um, I was by trade an insurance agent, which I know you are as well. Um, I did that for 16 years before I sold my own. I was a state farm agent, and then I was an independent agent after that, sold my independent agency, and started trying to do this whole i call myself the house hillbilly so for the house of representatives i'm the guy that's roaming roaming around the 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 capital you know lobbying legislation and that kind of thing but doing it from on a citizen standpoint um i I have a podcast that's the way too much jrmc podcast that i i'll say i dabble in i've had about 60 episodes but you're saying compared to 700 it's not (laughs) 60 is pretty good number yeah my goal all all along was if i can get to 100 then i'll know if i if it's something i can actually continue doing or not if it's going to have any kind of like success or whatever Um, what i have found my secret sorry to interrupt you is is this some of the podcasts like you said you listened to israel and palestine type debate type comp episode i recently did right that's pretty serious Mm -hmm. Some of the episodes also, though, are I had an 0-2 heavyweight amateur Bowling Green-based MMA fighter said something bad about me on Facebook, and so I had him on to talk about it. So this lowest, trashiest stuff in the world, too, I like to also cover that. 
Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's what it piques my interest. Mm-hmm. So my suggestion for longevity within the podcast world is whatever intrigues you, do it. <laughs> that's actually that's that's it's uh, funny to hear you say that because I've had other people tell me that as well. That for the most part with podcast and whether it be a YouTube channel or whatever, people are normally following your your personality and not necessarily what what the topic is that you're maybe okay. Discussing. Yeah, yeah, that makes you know, sense. That um, makes sense. So, yeah. I don't even know. I don't even track my followers much. Yeah, yeah. I really don't. I'm inter- listen to this though. I'm interviewing the guy who I hope to vote for for president in twenty twenty four, Michael Rechtenwald. I hope he will be the Mises Caucus Libertarian candidate for president. I'll be interviewing him um tomorrow. Uh, then Friday, I'm interviewing some other guy, uh, professor, historian guy. I was just looking, Kevin Gutzman. I got him through Twitter. He's going to make the argument that Abraham Lincoln was a real bad president. So he's going to say what Nick, he thinks Nikki Haley kind of should have said. Did you see where she was asked about the Civil War? I saw something on, on the news the other night. Someone just asked her in a town hall, Nikki Haley, you want to be president? What was the reason for the Civil War? And so that's a loaded question, really. Mm-hmm. You know, some constitutional conservatives may take a different stance than someone who says, oh, it's freeing the slaves. And that's it. That's all there was to it. Yeah. So she didn't want to touch it. She was like, it was about the role of government. And she's gotten a ton of uh, negative feedback, of course, about mm-hmm. that. So she didn't really touch it. She got a lot of criticism for it. So I'm having Michael Rechtenwald on tomorrow to talk about what he would have said. And then I'm going to have this guy who's like, I think he's written a couple books on it. He's a professor. Uh, he's going to come on on Friday to talk about his opinion about Lincoln, some of the misnomers in his eyes about Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War, things like that. So I guess my point is, like, just whatever the hell comes up and intrigues you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's funny that that's a topic today because I, I have found as far as in my experience thus far that you got to kind of, you got to find certain little I won't say little. You you got to find certain topics like that to kind of draw a line in the sand to figure out where people are out, where they're at, and whether it be the Republican Party or the Libertarian Party. Ronald Reagan's one for me that like I try to I, I tend to kind of hone in on him and say I'm not sure that I, that I'm like to, that I'm like ready to jump on this bandwagon and mm. Reagan, Reagan being the best, the best. He had pretty good rhetoric. <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, that if we just focus on the rhetoric, yeah. he had some great quotes. My wife's from Cuba. Uh, she hates communism. Reagan was like the Reagan and Margaret Thatcher of England. You know, they were kind of the champions mm. uh, that brought down the USSR. So that's good. And, you know, you can say a lot of good things. The things they said, and I guess maybe, you know, some of the things they did. However, if he was claiming to be a small government president, the numbers do not add up. Yeah, do, do, do not. And me, me coming from, like, I'm from, I'm from Southeast Kentucky, so I'm from Appalachia and the war on, the war on uh, drugs and the war on poverty and it's, it's not ended well for you know for my people and a lot of my you know, I grew up with a lot of my friends were African-American you know, black dudes whatever, whatever you want to say and like I know that uh, a lot of the policies from the early 80s didn't end well for African-Americans as far as from incarceration rates and all that all that mm. kind of stuff the tough on, tough on crime stuff um and so and Reagan was extremely extremely tough on crime uh, oh yeah 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 and, and you know what's interesting is the Fauci stuff if I read RFK's book about Fauci which I appreciate some of what RFK has said. It ends up he's actually horrible on about everything, other than a couple things, RFK Jr. He wrote this book on Fauci. I read it. Great. Mm-hmm. Outlines how Ronald, the Reagan administration allowed these uh, pharmacy, pharmaceutical companies to kind of do away with a lot of the, the test, minimum testing requirements and all these things that would make sense for the sake of basically now – He's portraying it as a greedy Republican just wanting money. But it seems like in a way that 
Reagan really negatively impacted our medical industry. Absolutely, and I would even you know maybe come back to say that the pharmaceutical industry may be one of the maybe one of the topics that keeps me from being a self proclaimed libertarian because it's like we go back and look and see what what Pfizer what Pfizer has done and what um, who was it the people that were selling oxycontin oh yeah what they were doing from a free market standpoint and paying off the government and bring them but on. you can but 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 would you consider that free market i would say reagan and big government is what completely created this false power to these pharmaceutical companies that is able to just present things like oh it's fact fda said this is non-addictive you watched it i assume you're oh, from yeah, eastern I, kentucky yeah, what's it called it's a so there's there's dope sick dope sick the one with Michael Keaton yeah dope sick is a phenomenal show well they're like hey guys this is the government they're saying this is not addictive yeah well, to me that's the issue that the government be like allowing them to you know and acting like their 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 labels that they were agreeing to be put on those pill bottles is, is certainly the reason that doctors jumped on the bandwagon for writing the prescriptions and my my father actually died of a, of an opiate overdose in 1997, so I was 10 years old. So it's been, you know, it's been 27 years ago or whatever. What did he do for work before he died? Um, so nothing really. Okay. I mean, I'm listen. I'm as Eastern Kentucky as it gets. So dad died of a drug overdose. Didn't graduate high school. A little kinda, bit of construction, maybe. Kind of drove drove a little like a little coal truck. You know what I mean? But mostly just like picking up whatever the extra the coal was on the on the side of the coal mine and going and selling it for an inflated prices to old ladies back in the holler. Wow, really? <laughs> and he died when you were ten from yeah, from an opiate from opiate overdose. So like whether it was so we don't know if it was a drug induced suicide or if it was just a a regular overdose or whatever. But it's it's ran rampant for twenty five years in East Kentucky, whether it be opiates or heroin. And there's a good book called Dreamland that everyone should read. It basically kind of spells out how the heroin epidemic took was what came in right after the opiate epidemic kind of started to decline because they weren't writing these prescriptions anymore oh, yeah so you had to get you're going to get your fix somehow so all the black tar heroin started coming up from sinaloa the sinaloa cartel in eastern kentucky and appalachia and west virginia and all those places it's a phenomenal book i mean it's 500 pages long but another common criticism of libertarians that would tie into what you just said would be that a lot of them are open borders mm-hmm. yeah and so this is definitely somewhere where i'm probably if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm Trump if I'm Trumpian in any given way, it's that uh, the word nationalism has a terrible connotation at the, at at this moment. But if it, if, it's, if open borders has shown us anything, just from a, not just an immigration standpoint, but even from a free market standpoint, that if we're going to allow these other countries to, if our com- if our companies can move to these other countries, where they can pay people pennies on the dollar or have him or what you called slave labor, you know, creating their products and then bringing it back over here selling it for inflated prices to where the, we're, so inflation's running the muck over here. you got people thinking that, well, we're going to pay people $15 an hour. It's like, well, it doesn't matter if the companies can just leave the, can just leave the country mm. and go to Taiwan or go to China or whatever, and, the, and those governments are trying to explode. They, they're trying to increase their GDP. They're where we were at in 1890 sure. right now. Um, and so from an open border standpoint, I, I think we have an issue there for, on multiple fronts, not just, not just massive illegal immigration, but as far as like from a libertarian standpoint, I think if there's a breakdown somewhere for me, it's it's from an economic standpoint there, just that we're not all playing from the same playing field as far as what we think the adequate amount of human rights are, <laughs> you know, or, or, or employ, employment rights or what have you. For those of you listening, I should clarify for the sake of the Libertarian Party presidential voters, realistically, not many listening, because <laughs> there's not that many, I think. 2% vote for libertarian so it's not that many. However, the current administration 
of the Libertarian Party, Michael Rechtenwald, Dave Smith, those guys, they're not open borders at all. It's more Murray Rothbard, Strand, Hans Hermann Hoppe, Strand of this libertarianism that's actually pro-border security, or at least controlled immigration. So for what that's worth. Got, got you. And that's, a, you know, that's why these conversations are important, because I try to tell everyone, I, I try to be the voice of the average Kentuckian. So I do think I'm you know, maybe a little above average intellectually. I, I've, I've got a college degree for what that's worth. From the okay, University okay. Of Kentucky. I, have a, I have a degree in history, and I think it was a little do bit. Do you have a degree in history? Yeah. So it, was a, it may have been a, pit, a pity degree. I had like 150 hours. I was the redneck that left like little eastern Kentucky and thought I was going to go party a little bit and ended up changing majors all the time. And they called me and were like, you got so many hours, you got to graduate. You know, and so um, history was what I landed on. And, uh, but again, I think I, I try to have a, um, you know, take a nuanced approach and at least put, make myself vulnerable. A lot of people don't have the opportunity of speaking to the people I get to speak to or whatever. And so I may, there may be times I sound ignorant or whatever, but I, you can't learn any other way. Sure. Um, so everybody's ignorant about, everyone is ignorant about tons of things. Every human. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm definitely no, no different. In those, in those regards. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff that I, you know, you've just heard a little bit about, you know, basically nothing about, you know, and then maybe you look into it, learn more about it, become intrigued with it. Hopefully that's the nature of life where you're continually trying to learn and expand your mind and, and spread truth and things like that. Yeah. But, but I will say that I got my start in, in all this political stuff from a, you know, from a libertarian standpoint. So I started just kind of give you a little background. Um, I'm sitting in my, so I coach football up here in the Louisville Youth Football League. I coach basketball at the Two, two different teams that for the Oldham County YMCA and coach baseball at Linden and, and so on and so forth. I'm standing in my in my kitchen in around Thanksgiving in 2021. Yeah, 2021, and they're trying to get me to put my 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 players back in mask at that point. So we're talking oh about God. almost a year and a half later, and so I'm sitting there thinking, like, how am I going to run practice and you know make sure my kids aren't overheating this all stuff? And my wife walks in the room and she's like. I thought I'm ready to take a crazy redneck that was going to fight. Like, what in the hell are you talking about here? Putting your kid, putting your, like, talking about having your kids wear masks in, in basketball games. And I was just like, I mean, it hit me. You know, I realized, like, I've been complicit, you know, in, in all this and let it go on too long. And so I was like, well, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll fight for, I don't know, I don't know what I'm, what I mean when I say this, but I'll fight and I'll start going to Frankfurt or whatever. Is, but listen, I'm going to go balls to the wall. So, so at that time, you were a professional. Full time insurance, exactly. Business yeah. owner. Mm-hmm. I've been an insurance agent at that at that time for fifteen years. And then you sold your practice. So I sold my practice a year and a half after I started doing this. Okay. Yeah. So what is this? What is your job title currently? Right now, I guess I would call myself just like a like a citizen lobbyist, podcaster, podcaster, whatever, you know, whatever. Just trying to be an influencer, I guess. At this what, point. What, and it's specific to the state of Kentucky. So although we may talk about immigration and foreign policy and stuff, really, your focus for your action, your activity. Is related to the state of Kentucky. Is in the state legislature, and and in my process of so I started, I went down and I wrote, I wrote a, an amendment to a bill that would have that would have done away with masking, testing, like the vaccines in schools, all that stuff. Got I got it. So I, this was something I wrote in my basement. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, got got a House representative, Josh Callaway. He's out of Breckenridge County, Hardin County. He's an he's an awesome guy to file this on there. Got it. We got it out of the House of Representatives. Got it over into the Senate. But it was kind of it was a very like American story. I mean, I was la- I was like laughed at in the building the first day. Who I, cares? Yeah, and I was inside just, of a government building, well, you were laughed well, at. Listen, I'm redneck like that. Like yeah. that was the worst thing they could have done. Was yeah, like, okay, good, I good. Because I was like, well, hell, I'm coming back now, you know. And so, 
But over the last couple of years, it's became, you know, it's like there's these big, huge lobbying organizations that are down there. So you got like the Fraternal Order Police, the te- you got the teachers unions, you got the Chamber of Commerce, you got the the medical complex, you know, whether it be the pharmaceutical industry, hospital, hospital associations, whatever. And then from a, from a individual liberty constitutional conservative perspective, I, I don't even like to toot my own horn, but I'm the only one in the building down there every day. You know, and so it's and, like, and are you getting paid somehow? No, I am not. And so it's kind of where I know what I always tell people is for the first couple of years, I couldn't, you know what I mean? I didn't have any credibility yet. I couldn't like, I couldn't go out to the general public and be like, Hey, this is, I'm starting this organization, donate to this cause, whatever. I didn't have a track record. You know what I mean? So I feel like I had to spend a couple, I had to kind of buy, that's why I sold my practice. Um, so I could, uh, have some, have funds there and bite the bullet and build a reputation and get some credibility and that kind of thing. But I'm realizing now why there aren't more citizen like activists out there because you can't do it without without getting some kind of support you know so i'm actively right now working on some things trying to figure out if i need to start my own by one c3 or something or if i'm going to have to become a lobbyist and just creating my own organization or whatever um but i've tried to keep from having to do that i asked you before we started recording you're 37 years old you're a christian who's very involved with your church you're married to uh the wife you've been with for years, you, the two of you have four kids together. That's right. Yes, yes, sir. Okay. So we've been together seven, 17 years now, married 12 years. And so your wife is? She's a stay-at-home mom. So we okay. homeschool our four kids. And, and your, your practice, you homeschool your kids. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Why? Why wouldn't you send them to public schools? Well, we did. You it's, you know that if they don't go to public schools, they're going to end up weird. I know. They, that, 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 that's true. <laughs> Has anyone told you that? Well, it's like... I encourage people to say that. I'm like, just come to football practice with come to football practice, <laughs> basketball with me, and see and see how my kids are. You know, like socially and socially, and as far as just like from a leadership standpoint, it's okay. just, it's a different world. I'm from East Kentucky, so I know about weirdo like homeschool kids. Like, um, you got people living back in hollers that only come out and go to the grocery store once a month or whatever. Like those people out there, I know, but like it's just a different world now, and there's so many opportunities to get your kids involved in social, you know, social activities, that kind of thing. That there's really no, you know, no excuse for it. And before COVID, they did go to my two oldest went to public school, and so what? What we ended up we ended up pulling them out because of um, online. What do they what they call it? Distance learning or whatever. And it was just not. It just wasn't going to work. And we knew when they went back to school, they were going to be in mask. And my oldest son is just like me. He likes to talk. And I was like, this dude's going to be in detention like every day. Like there's just no way he's going to be social distancing, and he's probably going to be depressed from not being. He's a you know he's a lovey dovey, touchy feely kind of kind of guy. And so. uh that once we did that and we got to spend the time, the, the kind of time we got to spend with them and realized that, oh my God, they don't need to be in, they don't have to be in school eight hours a day to like learn something. We'll be done with school in an hour and a half, you know, and then they can, they can do whatever floats their boat after that. You know what I mean? Whatever, you know, my 10 year old can solve in a Ruby's cube in like 25 seconds or something. My, my eight year old daughter, she's, she loves painting and she's also a great basketball player and loves to play the piano and really all, all, yeah. kind, all kinds yeah. of stuff. So okay. I, when I left the house, they were all, they were roller, they were rollerblading in the, in the, in the basement. My five year, my five year old can ride rollerblades around in the basement. So financially you and your wife are getting by up until now. You know, we, we have been, I mean, that, that's one of the deals. I'm, I'm curious because, um, it sounds like you were motivated by the blatant, overreach of our government which in 2020 reached levels and then 2021 even and you know up until now yeah. reached levels that it, we'd never seen before yeah you took action and you kind of sold your business and you, you you've devoted yourself to this but 
and listen, if we have suffered financially, we have suffered for it. And so when people when people come at me and act, and act like that, well, I can't take that risk. I can't do this or do that. And I'm like, listen, if you want if you want radical change to take place, we're all going to have to take risk. I mean, from a libertarian standpoint, I mean, those all those principles are are totally antithetical to what the what the establishment tells you you need to do in life in order to be successful. So you're going to have to go out on a limb and take some risk and. Do some, you know, be uncomfortable. You're going to have to sack, you have to put, put your money where your mouth is, your time where your mouth is. And if you want to see change, um, I'm living proof that a citizen can, you know, get, get, can be, can be active in this process and not just know their own representative. It can, I mean, I probably, I would say, and again, I hate sounding like I'm a cocky bastard. I promise you I'm should not. be, you should be, you should be <laughs> you, like, it, for the sake of this. Like you I'll, should, I'll if you have any victories or any positive stuff going into what your, your passion project is, you should be the one who's telling me about from it. An, from an individual standpoint, I probably know more people in our legislature top to bottom than any other individual in, in this state. I mean, wow. I could probably, could probably call more, text more of them right now over a 10 minute period and get a response back from more of them in within another 10 minutes. You know, and so it's like it can be done. But my whole thing was when I started and I was writing that bill was I wasn't trying to get the government to, like, ban masks or do that. I just wanted – I wasn't trying to get them to take power back from school boards. I was saying – I'm not saying reallocate power. I'm talking about relinquishing it. This is power that you shouldn't have had – no one should have anyways. And I, constitutionally, I don't believe they did have it. But it, there comes a time where we, we allow things as citizens to go on so long to where there, we can't even make a constitutional argument anymore because we've allowed it so long. So until, until that government decides to, to relinquish that power and kind of get us back to a baseline, we can't even go further and even reinstate our constitutional values because we've, we've wore face diapers so long that we can't even say, well, you don't have the right to do that. So then why have you had one on your face for two years? If you, and so I think we were in that situation. And so I think that was one reason the, the message was, uh, you know, was was so accepted down there. I mean, not, not that it, it was easy. I mean, it was certainly hard to get to spread the message. And there was Republicans even that were as against it as some of the Democrats were. Sure. You know, but like it was a good, it was a draw, like a dividing line in the sand. And um was proved to me that a lot of our problems in politics aren't, aren't that we can't fix it. It's just that we we're bitching in the bed at night and sending sending articles that make us mad to our to our spouse in the you know in the bedroom on through Facebook Messenger instead of like actually get putting things into action and getting out and doing something about it. What is what would you say is your biggest victory thus far? Um so certainly it, certainly getting that And that, that may be a you know a, a subjective thing. I mean what what are you making the most tra- traction on thus far during your experience in Frankfurt? Well, what is your claim? Your, I mean, your, your, I would your say the prized I, uh, um, accomplishment or thing that's going in the right direction, based on your efforts. So the first, no, the first session I went in there was two Januarys ago. We got, oh, I got that, we got that mask bill out of the, out of the house. How like, involved with that were you? I mean, I was the only. Per, I was now. I had a lot of people out in the general public that were emailing and calling, and so I don't want to. I'm not want to devalue it because it's like whatever I'm saying and doing in that building down there it has to be matched with massive amounts of civilian support as far as emails and calls and telling the representatives to support things, whatever. So but it wasn't just you, but you were the one who said it. I was I, I was the one that wrote it. I was the only one down there actually lobbying. The and that bill. was two Januarys ago? That was in 2022. So, and then in 2023, spent that whole nine months prior to that because we have a part-time legislature. So from April through the end of the year, they're not there. And so a lot of people just think you shut down then. Well, it's okay. You don't do anything. So my deal was like, 
all right, well, if we were that successful and we didn't even start doing anything until they were already until the middle of January that, that year, then what would happen if we spent nine months prepping and actually writing our own legislation, contacting constitutional attorneys to go through the go through the legislation, calling the representative senators and trying to work out, you know, agreements between them and deals between them or whatever, getting people to actually file legislation that the exact words we wanted, not just like here's a problem, go fix it, and then if you don't do it right, we're going to bitch at you about it. You know, it was like, here's what we want, and if it ends up being wrong, then i got to eat it too, you know. Um, and this past session, pretty much everything that we had uh, hoped would get addressed, either so it, it was either the bill that we had written or language from the bill we had written got got passed through other through other means. Um, so we had several social conservative bills in schools just trying to clean up our school curriculums, and, and that can not What allow- does that mean, clean up our school curriculums? Well, in this situation, it was, we were mostly dealing with this, with the gender ideology stuff going on in schools. You know, it's has like, that been a big problem in Kentucky? In Kentucky, it's a massive problem. I mean, it's like you would think it wouldn't, and that's part of my podcast. Is the the mantra of it is if things are happening here, they are for for damn sure happening everywhere else in the United States sure. because Kentucky's so so middle of the road. I mean, you go back go date back to the Civil War. We're like the you know we're the buffer state in between the North and the South. You sure. know. Um, and so, like, if it's happening here, it's happening everywhere. And even in Oldham County here, probably one of the – Jefferson County certainly is the most liberal county in the, in the state. But even in Oldham County, you had situations where they were allowing, like, little boys to use little girls' bathrooms without telling parents. Is that real? That's real. I mean, what about the kitty litter stuff? Does that ever happen? So I, – I, Let's cut right to the real, I, I been, the real highlights. I have – you know, like, I have been provided proof that – that at least parents in certain districts are acknowledging that that's taking place. But one of the issues with our school system is that they've created a little bit of a bubble to where you're not it's, allowed to it's be. hard to even get in these buildings. How scary is that? So when my kids went, well, to, it's for their safety. When my kids went to Norton Commons elementary, I would go there every Friday and I would eat lunch with my son and I would like kind of hang out with, the, with his friends. And a couple of them were like other, well, also football players and stuff like that was well, after COVID we weren't allowed I mean, we had to knock on the door, and if we had to, if they forgot their backpack, you had to, like, open the door, you hand it to them, and they're, like, pulling it back shut, locking the door. And, like, for the most part, I think that's still – significant amounts of that still exists in, in the system. It's for, their sa- it's for the kids' safety, it's for though. The, it's, for, it's for the kids' safety, exactly, while, you know, other things like that are happening inside the building where they're sending little, little girls using – or little boys using little girls' bathrooms and that kind of thing. And there, there have been other specific situations. In Oklahoma – this is probably one of the ways I try to tell people. It's not always – you may think there's not a problem because you don't – You're so in Oklahoma, there's a situation where a this girl got – these two girls got – I'll try not to curse. You're good. You but, can but, say whatever you uh, want, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, actually, literally, you should be able to say whatever so you want on this the, show. These two girls got their ass beat in, okay. the, in the bathroom. And so if you look at the police report, everything, everything seemed fine. It said a girl – had beat up two other girls in the, in the bathroom, all this stuff. Well, someone did a, did a freedom of information request – on, on this police report to get the police report and the police report backed that up. But lo and behold, one of the, one of the officers and then, then the parent, one of the parents of the two girls that had gotten beat up basically came out and wh- was, were whistleblowers and were like, this was a male. The, the, this was a male that beat up the two girls. How did so, I know that? So it's like, there's, I mean, even our police department stuff are complicit now. And again, it's not, it's not the rank and file person's problem at that point. You know, they're just following, following, fo- or following, Department procedures and all that. Well, stuff. that is that a good excuse though? 
No, it's not. Not in my opinion. So then we. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, I think it early on it probably was, you know. But like now, it's, it's easy for me to say. I know that I'm not a cop. So if you're listening, and you're a cop, and you're like, "Oh, you don't get it." I, I'm sure it's not easy. You yeah. signed up for the job. I get it. It's you got to follow the orders. You're basically a rule follower. You got to be. But I mean, it has to be I a mean, line where you where you say, me, "No, I'm not doing for that." For me, and I have several police officer friends here. They're LMPD or St. Matthews Police or Oldham County Police. To me, I do think there like you don't. There's no excuse for if you are taking a police report and you know that there, you know that someone was transgender and they were it was a male that beat up two females and you report that that wasn't what happened because again, there's little that's little children that are how old were they that they were they, they were in I think they were in middle school I believe what they were no it might have been late elementary school I think they were like fifth or sixth grade or something wow so and then also you have the Loudoun County Virginia situation where that I think it was an actually an illegal immigrant that had went in and had, had raped that had raped the little girl. And this wasn't a transgender situation, but the school board was denying that it happened. And so that's remember that remember the the young guy or the the dad that got arrested at the school board that came in and they were acting like he was a crazy person. Mm. But I mean, his daughter had been raped in the bathroom by by an illegal immigrant, and they were trying to act like it hadn't happened. And it, these schools are just they're trying to shut down any kind of any kind of parental dissent, you know. And and my my mother actually is a school teacher, so I want to you know uh, just to be totally. Honestly, about that, she was a she's a retired school teacher, thirty two years in, in in Eastern Kentucky, and actually still full time subs every day. She likes the gossip and all that part of it. So, um, you know, she still does it every day. And so, uh, I appreciate that she admits she likes gossip because I've found there's two types of people in this world: people who like gossip and admit to it, and then there's people who like gossip and they deny it. That's all. Those are the only yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell her about all the time. It's like people will thank me for being for doing all this stuff with the legislature and all that. And I'm like, listen. I'm kind of a drama queen, so I enjoy it. Yeah. You know, like, I, I kind of feel like I'm the lucky one that gets to actually be the one that people think is doing everything whenever I really just try to take ideas that I'm getting from the general public and that, like, I know maybe they don't have the time to put it into action or to go out and do research to write legislation. Because, again, I'm not trying to infringe on people's personal liberties. I'm not trying to um, – I'm not trying to. I'm also not trying to pick fights that can't be that can't be won. You know, we got to pick our battles. You know, it's, and, and things like that. Um, and so, employer mandates is something I've been uh, heavily involved in. And all right, so employer mandates. What does that mean? So, it, what what it comes down to is like people from a libertarian standpoint, employers should be able to require their employees oh, to get vaccinated if they want to make them get wow vaccinated. interesting okay you know, yeah, tell so, me about that so it's like you know, obviously i was involved with trying to get vaccines and masks and testing all stuff out, out of schools but at, the, at that time one of the one of the big um areas of concern and continues to be to this day and we, and we have bills that are being filed as you speak as we speak in the kentucky legislature dealing with um trying to either ban vaccine ma- vaccine mandates say that employers can't do that and so so the libertarian argument against that would be Obviously, and you just said it, but it would the, exactly. the, the business owners should be able to do whatever yeah, they want. And, and so, and but I, you were presenting a bill that was anti that. Well, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that, with the libertarian perspective on this. And so that's where you start coming into into you know crony capitalism or whatever you want to call it here. Where I'm like, okay, well, I think the middle ground on that is not allowing the government to come in, and it's not really free market when the government says you can. You can require your employees to get this vaccine, but we're also going to protect you from any kind of negative negative consequences that happens from something you made your you made your employees get. So, for instance, the way I like to explain it is, it's not 1930 where you right now you're working at at, at Joe's paint shop, and if, if they want to once you get a vaccine, you can quit and then go work at Bob's hardware store, and if they want to make you quit, you can go work at Jim's flooring. It's all Home Depot. 
You know, mm. and so you can't just put 10, 15 years into somewhere and then quit because they want you to get a vaccine. Right now, what's what's taking place is all these places can require you to get a vaccine, and if you have an adverse event that either renders you disabled or you can't work anymore or whatever, there you have no you have no form of recourse, of recourse. So you can't sue and say you made me get this shot despite me telling you that I, I that my doctor had said I'm allergic to one of the contents that's the, of, of what's in here. Or I don't know if you've seen this the um, the that Rumble documentary that died suddenly. We're nope. Talking about we, a lot of times the shot now is called the clot shot because yeah. the blood clot situation. So many athletes just dropping dead. Exactly, and so it's like right now you have a situation where they can force you to get something that there is, there is tons of scientific data showing you that it's it's just blatantly just not good for for people to get at this point. And they're still there's like the nurses to this day, nursing students are required to get this. They that don't sucks. care. They don't care. One of my daughters is probably going to go into nursing and. And so that's it's, something it's, I've thought so like, kind of yep. sucks about that whole field is they'll always be on the forefront of whatever bullshit guys like Fauci say they need to do. Yeah, you just got to jump through that hoop. Yeah, jump through this one for that is like, listen, is there anybody more well equipped to make a medical decision for themselves than someone who's in who's in the medical field, a, a nurse that's on the front line? That should be a good question. It's not, though. Yeah. So, <laughs> Doctors aren't even good at that. Yeah, because all they got to do is listen to what the, the chain, oh, you have to follow this. Oh, it's my advice. You might as well just say, this is the advice for this. Just click this button because it's just going to be what the bu- person above them says to make it. That's, that's a, how it is. That's all. That's a, pretty much all they're doing now. Sucks. And so my whole thing is like, listen, from a social conservative standpoint, I'm totally on board with, like, I don't. I don't want employers to be able to do that. However, I do believe in our constitution. I okay. do believe in, you know, it's like there are, we, we can't be anti-capitalism, you know, and the, look, the, I try to make sure that the social conservative movement, the Christian conservative movement, it doesn't become anti-capitalist because that's capitalism is what got us here. However, it's not true free market. If you are protected from the negative consequences of a decision you make. Would this be in, in um, disagreement with some of DeSantis's policies? Um, because I think, and I'm not an expert, I don't know, I think he has presented stuff to entirely prevent business owners from requiring vaccines. And so at least how it's presented in the media that I've seen is that he's more on the other, on the side of kind of forcing the employer to do it. Yeah, yeah, no, so I I don't, I don't think it'd be, and I'm not necessarily speaking in opposition to that. I'm just saying I think the more logical approach and the, the more constitutional approach is to say, okay, you can still force it, but if something happens... Everybody has they, they have a form of recourse against you, and you're going to be on the hook for that. I think it solves the problem without overstepping any kind and having any kind of First Amendment you know implications or anything like that. Because I'll see where I'm from. I think that'd probably be all all some rednecks wanted to happen was hey okay well I'll get the shot, but I'm wait I, I can't wait to get a lawsuit on you. You'd have rednecks lined up all day wanting to get wanting to get the shot, saying I'm just, I'm trying to get an adverse reaction. I'm going to sue you, and that that right there would you know in contrast would would be what would cause these employers to say. Had to do some research and be like, okay, am I really willing to go on the hook for this shot that had that had no, didn't have the adequate amount of testing or whatever with through the F? I'm sure you've heard all the all the reasons why it should be pulled or whatever. And so, again, that would me, scare you when you owned your practice. I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't have forced anybody to get like, a shot if I if I was well, yeah, for a million dollars. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like if I was on the hook for a hundred thousand dollars. Well, especially you wouldn't have cons- forced it for many reasons. I think. Yo, yeah, I, w- I mean, I wouldn't have enforced it anyways. Yes, you know, like I, you know, I'm I'm young and healthy and all that. I'm you know, I, I tend to lean lean conservative, and I you know I do lean to like li- to toward the libertarian side of things for the a lot of for a lot of times, and so I wouldn't have enforced it regardless. But I think even some of the older older fogies, you know, the ones that are just in it literally for pro- for profit and 
or just profit oriented would have been looking at their bottom lines. Well, look at their bottom lines and saying, okay, well, are we really protecting people here? And is it worth the the possibility that we're out hundred million dollars? Because if you have if you have fifty thousand employees and fifty of those people have adverse reactions, it can sue you. I mean, you're talking about significant impacts on your on your profit margins. You are bringing up a lot of um, topics that I can take into some, uh, I guess, controversial or difficult questions that I would ask you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen. That's I, what you're here for. And that's what I'm here for. Okay. I, like I said, I don't want any prompting or anything. I, I, I paused it and, I, and tried to tell you a question I was going to ask, and he's like, no, I operate better. What's qualified immunity? So just talking about from like a police perspective, the controversial, very controversial, I'd say. Um, are you how familiar? Have you paid much attention so to the, have, the, that that debate uh, or that type of a? So uh, my understanding is, if they're acting in, if they're acting in uh, accordance to policy procedures and that kind of thing, that they basically can't be prosecuted. Yeah. Okay. Or, I, mean, I mean, is that is that your understanding as well? I mean, sounds we, we, about we, right. But but critics of qualified immunity would say that it allows cops to end up doing like maybe stuff they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, so me personally, I feel like. I think they're. It, it, I don't know if you have any military background. I know, I know you do jujitsu, and that I kind don't of. have any military background. Nor, I mean, my both my grandfathers were in the army and the marines. You know, That's I, about I the closest do, I've got to it. Were you in the military? I, I was not. I like to look like I like. Yeah, like no, I, I look like I'm <laughs> yeah, a cop you, or you a like, military guy you too. Look like Jocko or something, right? Something now, like so. that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but I mean, I do think there is something to be said about chain of command, and I don't think we want our our ground troops, so to speak, our beat cops, question literally questioning every single directive that's given to them. I don't think that's that would be a that's a good way to handle things. And I think one reason we've been so militarily successful has been because of our uh, commitment to the chain of command and you know listen to our commanding officers that kind of department procedures. And so I do think that there's got to be some protection there for the like the person at the bottom that's just taking orders. But again, a, a cop is taking. They're taking an oath to to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, and so there's got. I mean, there's got to be a line somewhere. You know, like you go look at in New York during during the lockdowns, when they are, there's not just shutting down and fining, but at the times arresting business owners for staying open. A cop has to know. I don't care. I don't care what your commanding officer is saying. Like, is that the America you want to live in? Is that the America that you understand to be supported by the Constitution of the United States? It's not the one that I that I want to live in. And sure. so I think at that point, you know, again, they can say, well, my livelihood, my pension, whatever. Hey, brother, I've been doing this for two and a half years. Don't tell that been, to you. And I ain't made a damn penny. So I don't, Shit. Want, so okay. I don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? And so, um, the, and it's, I know the, your last, uh, I think your last person on the show was on Tim Pool, was on the Tim Pool show. And uh, yeah, Dave DeCamp of yeah, antiwar.com. Yeah, yeah. I love that guy. I yeah, listen he, to his podcast every day. He's been on there a couple times, I think. Tim he Cass has. I hope to have him. Oh, yeah, he's been on Tim Cast. He's been on part of the problem with Dave Smith, too. He's he's good, good, but, but good Tim, stuff. But Tim would, would, but he's he talks about this because I listen to Tim pretty much every day. My wife and I both do that. We're, we're past the point of being able to say, of being able to say, well, you know, I can't do it because, you know, my. I don't want my kids to be weird, or I don't, you know, I don't want my kids to be left out because everybody's playing Fortnite, whatever. It's like, if you believe it's right, you got to do it. You, you got to, you have to put that into practice, and you have to hope you have some leadership abilities where other people follow you or whatever. Because again, it's like you can't expect everyone else to do it if you yourself act, won't even do it. I mean, that's kind of the way I look at it. So, I do think qualified immunity certainly needs to be looked at. You know, and that's like, again, you start getting into some weird things like with so uh, cops listening could say, like, fuck this guy. Yeah, no. And listen, 
the guy I coach with, my 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 co-head coach is a LMPD officer, and his dad's like a like a legend here or whatever. My whole deal is I try to start conversations, and I want I I invite anyone to come in and have a conversation with me, and sure. like make me make me feel stupid. You know, I want to learn, and and, and I'm I'm involved in let in writing legislation constantly every single day, and so. If you can inform me on something that's a problem and if, if it's being discussed down there, I will take it to these people and be like, hey, here's something we're missing. We actually have a bill right now in, in Louisville called the Safer Kentucky Act. Save for Kentucky? The Safer Kentucky Safer, Act. okay. I'm so sorry, it's, it's, tended, it's like intending to try to put a dent in the crime epidemic here in, here in Louisville from a you know, carjacking standpoint. How would, we, how, would, how would that be done? So uh, it's, it's like a 68-page bill. So there's so many ways. So it's... But it's an effectively another three strikes law, and I literally was yesterday having a conversation with, with the primary uh, sponsor of his name, Jared Bauman from here. He act, he may actually be in this district, and brought several concerns to him, and he should I, he should I, I, I anticipate he might be, he may be upset with me because I was he's probably just because you were asking questions yeah and I was like well he could tell you were asking questions yeah, exactly that, and so possible. you know that you'd assume they'd be emotionally invested in it and I think he is but again like these. Our representatives want to be engaged, but what they don't want to be engaged in is just with problem finders and not people that are trying to be solutions oriented. So the, the, what, what was the difference is I'm coming here and saying, hey, I'm not sure about this if I want somebody who has um, who has committed three carjackings without a weapon to then be in prison for life without parole. Mm. They didn't have a gun, no weapon on their person. Now it's like, are is that... Three different carjack. That's an interesting. So, so let's say it was three. That. Okay, wow. So that, or, what, what, that, or, or let's say that um, you were you're a, a, a one time you're a, a two time felon or whatever. You get out and you go in and you rob a store. So you so it's burglary in the first degree, but you don't have a weapon on you. Do I think that person should be in prison for life without parole? Wow, that's you know, a difficult question. You know, and so it's like you're attracted to the difficult questions. And, and so, so bringing these conversations up to him, and it's like <laughs> I, I try to tell so Jared, and like I want to give him all the credit in the world on how he, how he, you know, how he took these questions on. I was like, listen, at the end of the day, it's not my name. It's going to be on this thing when it, if it passes, it's going to be it's going to be him. And so all I can do is bring up questions and say, hey, I've got buddies from the street that this could have impacted it, and like I want you to think about them. And if if this is if this is what the spirit of the bill is and what you want to happen, like you're like, and you tell me that, like, I'm not here to, I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to try to be a part of the solution and bring, uh, bring things up, you know, bring things to your attention. Maybe sometimes they're in, they're in echo chambers where it's just like, yes, we got to do this. Yes, we got to do that. Especially if everybody is from Louisville. That's, you know, it's for, another, another thing is fentanyl. You know, they want to, there was a bill here over the summer that was being presented that wanted to make, if you'd sold, if you had sold anything, with fentanyl or a fentanyl derivative or whatever in it, and there was and the person died, they wanted they wanted to be a guaranteed murder charge. Well, if you're out in the rural parts of the of the state where there's no gang presence, okay. that may that may sound okay. It's like you know it's mostly adults selling these drugs. But if you're here in Louisville, I mean the corner boys aren't. It's not adults for the most part. Like they're smart. They're going and getting 15, 16 year old kids to be slinging be slinging the stuff on on the on the corner. So if we start going out here and charging everybody that's 16 years old with murder because they sold fentanyl, mm. the gangs are just going to get an 11 year old to sell it. They're going to oh, go. Wow. They're going to go to whatever age level they got to go to to get to, to sell that drug so that they so they aren't catching murder murder reps on the street all day long. And so there's just different 
you know, unintended consequences like that. And I think uh, part of the th- part of what I bring to the table for them is just like I said, I'm from rural Eastern Kentucky. All my people are still there. So my dad died of a drug overdose. My mom's a teacher. My stepdad works in the coal mines. Didn't graduate high school. They all still live there. You know. Now and I've lived up here now for 13 years. I've I've owned a business, I've, so I've kind of lived in both worlds. I, uh, James O'Keefe made a comment the other day on Temple. He'd said something about by by now the video game has has typically ended for people, and I feel that way about myself. Like usually for people like me, the video game has ended, and I'm back in the trailer park already. You know, mm-hmm. or I'm back in East Kentucky, and I don't have a I don't have a voice, and I certainly don't have the the connections and all that that I have come been blessed to have. You like James O'Keefe? I, I do think I do think he stands for I don't you know, obviously I don't know him personally he seems like he'd probably be a little bit of an asshole if you if you're like have a conversation with well, him. well okay but do you think overall he's in that positive for society I do I do I do, I do think so yeah uh, difficult to really argue yeah, with that uh, yeah I mean as far as the stuff he's exposed I mean you're not going to expose those things unless you are willing to go to links that the average person certainly isn't but even most people that are assertive. And and though in from a media standpoint and investigative journalist, he goes to a whole other level. And we need you know you need those fr- those people on the fringes to keep people honest. So absolutely, I think he I think he's definitely net positive for society. Now, I'm not the sharpest guy in the state of Kentucky. We have a governor, Andy Bashir. I know he just won re-election over Daniel Cameron. Um, I know who the governor is. Outside of that, I don't know much about the government from a state level. Could you try to give like a summary for someone listen, listening? How does it work? How does the state of Kentucky government work? Yes, yeah, so I'll try to give you a brief uh, background. And actually, my most recent show that was on my YouTube on my YouTube channel was actually a quick little civics, state civics breakdown, trying to compare it to the federal government and all that. Wow. So just like Wait, what's that YouTube channel? It's, the, it's way too much W-A-Y, the number two, M-U-C-H, and then my initials, J-R-M-C. So the way too much J-R-M-C podcast. Um, so we have the three branches of government, just like the federal government does. One of the big differences here is that we you know we're, we are a part-time legislature. So our our House of Representatives, our senators, aren't there year-round, and so they have a three-month period where they can, you know, where they can write write laws, have committees, pass laws, you know, all all that stuff. Um, you know, probably, I need to have my little my little PowerPoint out from here or something like that, unless you have specific questions. But for the most part, it runs the same way. If you want to go watch the how a bill becomes a law. <laughs> Remember the old the old cartoon that when we were kids. It's pretty much. So what's the hierarchy? What's the power structure? It goes governor is at the top. So your or the governor of Kentucky has much less authority than what like the president has at a federal level. Okay. And so, you know, they're, much they're, less. They're, they're appointing boards. Um, they they they're not supposed. Now, obviously, the last three years during COVID, this is why states of emergency matter so much because our legislators in the past have have gifted so much power to to governors during states of emergency. But typically, they don't have the authority to shut down schools and churches and all you know, all that stuff. And I don't think they should have it, anyways. But for you know, they're appointing boards um, <laughs> to shut down a church. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he did that. I know, I know, I know. But I mean, like, should anyone ever have the authority well, to shut down a church? So we passed a bill two years ago that said they couldn't limit. This was trying. This was trying to deter his power. We that we couldn't. He couldn't limit during states of emergency church attendance any more than he would like the tenants or the occupation of Walmart. And I'm like, listen, bro, I'm just different. I don't give a damn if there's a fountain of black plague in the no, fellowship it, hall. Exactly. You take it. tell anybody to go, to go to church or not. So, I Th- mean. That that seems like it's fundamental to the Constitution. Yeah, well, and here's the deal. I think that we had the votes in there to pass something like that. The problem was the only people, they're in this little, they're in this little, what's the like, echo chamber where there was, 
it's li- it's liberal lobbyists and people and and the conservative lobbyists that are in there are just they're just trying to pass. They want something, something, anything to pass. They can put in a newsletter and fundraise off of. So that's really why good legislation doesn't doesn't pass is because of that and because there's the again our legislature is part time, so they don't have the resources, the payroll that we think they have in order to get these bills written. You know, most of them are sharing a legislative assistant, you know, or a secretary, whatever you want to call them. So they may have six or seven of them that are just scheduling their appointments and stuff, but they don't have anyone else that's like, work on this bill for me. You know, like, and you do this just for me. No one else, you're focused on my bill right now. They got to send it off to the bill writers, and they may have 100 other bills that write at the time. How many senators are in the state? And is there, you said it's somewhat, so if we're comparing it to the United States, I know you made a video about this recently. Yep, so uh, how many senators, are there members of Congress in Kentucky? I mean, how many? So there are 138 total amongst the House and the Senate. So at a federal level, we have 435, 435 House members. We have 100 in the, in the state of Kentucky. At this, at this federal level, senators, we have 100, two for each state. In Kentucky, we have 38. And so from a control standpoint, 80 of the 100 House reps are Republican, and they're varying degrees of Republican. You know, they're not all cut from the same cloth. You know, we have some that are extremely economically libertarian, some that are extremely socially conservative and don't even really care about economics that much. And then we have... Oh, okay. You mean their focus. Yeah, their they focus never is, is pay much attention to voting on spending bills. It, it, That's it, not... Exactly. They don't see it from that lens. Or they just vote based on what leadership's telling them and they're letting the people on the appropriations committee do their thing and then assuming like, okay, well, if there's 70 other people voting for it out of the 80, then it must be decent because it's not my cup of tea. Who's you know? Savannah Bishop? Savannah Maddox, you mean? I'm sorry, Savannah so she's, Maddox. She's the most, you know, li- liberty. I won't say the most. I mean, like that. But one of the one of the lib- one of the most liberty minded um, House reps in in the Kentucky legislature. Um, she is in is it Hebron, Kentucky, or she's one of the Northern Kentucky. And so the Northern Kentucky area is very liberty focused. You got Savannah Maddox there. You got Felicia Rayborn. You got Steve Rawlings. You got Steve Doan. You got Marianne Proctor. So you have a whole like a, a whole slew of them that are. And then you have a guy named T.J. Roberts that's running for. Uh, one of the house seats up there that are just very liberty liberty minded and actually was the one who sued Andy Bashir for the for the church shutdown on Easter and actually beat him so he's actually running for house now so it's like it's a very it's a it's the liberty corridor you know so, so to speak and so Savannah's one of the most outspoken for for to, for Second Amendment rights and she was that the, kind of thing. I, th- yeah. I think she was the one who passed like constitutional carry. Oh, yeah, she was. She, I don't. I don't remember I, again. I don't I know was, about passed. I, I don't know the, if I said that right. That was the session before I got there, I believe. Um, and so she, if she didn't, if it wasn't her bill, she was heavily involved in it. She's also working on the campus carry bill. Um, now our sanctuary state. Uh, so our two, Second Amendment sanctuary state bill was through, was by Josh Bray out of Rockcastle County, and me and him worked on that pretty pretty heavily. And basically. what what did that say? Basically said that the state government can't assist any kind of infringement on the Second Amendment from a federal standpoint. So if the FBI is coming in here or the CIA or or whatever is coming in and trying to outlaw forty or fifty round magazines, whatever, whatever, hundred round magazines, no state resources can be expended towards helping in in regards to that. To, and, to limiting what the people to, in to, Kentucky have, exa- exactly. Yeah. In case that's coming, which could yeah. okay. Now, wait, wait, wait. Repeat to me. What's the name of that bill? A, so How could was, someone? Li- it sounds pretty important. So in twenty twenty, it was twenty twenty three. I keep. I always get my my years mixed. So in this past session, twenty twenty three, it was HB one fifty three. Josh Bray out of Rockcastle County was the primary sponsor. We actually had a mirror bill in the in the Senate that was uh, that was sponsored by Lindsey Titchener, um, and so we had. Again, this is one of the things that I tried to facilitate along the way. We had an agreement basically early on from both of them saying whichever 
whichever house passed it first, the other one, instead of trying to get their own bill number to pass, would just pick up the mantle on what on that bill and run it on the other side and be the face of it over there, getting to do the committee hearings on it and all that. So the one thing we didn't get into that one that we had on in that was an that was agreed upon, and I can probably come back on and talk about some of the corruption at the top on here. But we we had agreed upon some uh, parameters on what banks and stuff like that can do from a discriminatory standpoint. You know, as far as like flagging people's accounts when they're buying firearms, that kind of stuff. So we had we had that in the bill where they weren't weren't going to be allowed to do that. If someone's listening and they like that bill. What could they do? Go to the it's a go to I think it's lrc.ky.gov. Just or just type in Legislative Research Commission in your in your search engine um, for Kentucky, and then up top it'll say bills. Click on bills. Click on 2023, and then you can go to it'll be House Bill 153 is the bill that passed, and you can read all the language in there. And and, and what could they do to support it? Um, well, there's really not. You don't really need to. I mean, it'd be great to send Josh a, a an email and tell him, you know, thanks for. Thanks for pushing it, and because he had, we we had to do it a couple of years in a row. Um, I think we strengthened it the second year, but um, just letting him know, thanks for thanks for continuing to push for that legislation getting through. Similar uh, type legislation in Kentucky in the future that could be on the horizon. That someone who's a pro Second Amendment um, listener, how could they? I mean, what else is there? Anything so else that related to uh, that? You know, constitutional carry. I'm not not constitutional, but. Uh, but school, what they what do they call it? I just had it. That's on tip of my tongue. But Savannah right now is working on trying to get it to where gun free zones are no longer a thing. I mean, in look, Kentucky, she may be able to get that. I mean, so it's like I think they've done similar things. Schools, in, in Pub- schools, public universities, and so if you go look at the data like nationwide, gun free zones oh, are are the you issue. You need to tell me. I mean, I mean go, if I were a shooter, what would I look for? If you go look, if at, I were trying to hurt people, would I go a place where everyone has a bunch of guns or no? If you go look at states where where students on college campuses campus carries what they call it so instead of constitutional carry they call it campus carry where students can actually carry can carry firearms obviously 18 they're 18 years old or whatever um there's far or, or teachers or um, <laughs> professors there's there's i don't i believe the stats actually and somebody you know comment on this if, if it's wrong but there's ne- there's never been a school shooting in a state where campus carry where gun-free zones don't exist and so it's like there's another there's a house a house um, house rep her name's Jennifer Decker she's out of Shelby County that is in that's very much in support of this and she's ran she's ran Paul's she's that's Rand's homegirl you know so it's one of his day ones here I'm wearing um, a Rand Paul T-shirt I'm happy to have been able to vote for Rand Paul recently yeah, and so I know that she's um, one of his primary contacts here in, in the state government she and he actually testified for one of one of her bills a couple weeks ago um, and so you know Adrian Southworth is very much in support of that Lindsay Tishner. You know, again, is in, in support of it, and so and, and so. How could anyone listening support that? I think really just uh, getting on to that same website, finding you know, finding Savannah's um, email address. It's, it's probably savannah.maddox.lrc.gov is probably what I, th- I think is what it is. Um, and let her know to can you know keep is expending as much of her resources. And does as it possible. matter if she receives an email like that? I, it absolutely does. I mean, that, that's one of the biggest things, and why why I hope one thing I hope to change um, out in out in the public is this idea that we can't influence our government from a constitutional standpoint and from just like from an American standpoint. I literally feel like the last two years has been something maybe that it may have never been experienced in the state ever. You know, I don't know. Like, I mean, I t- and I'll talk to. House reps that have been there, and state senators that have been there a long time, none of them can tell me any time in the past that they that they're aware of a, of a civilian continually coming down and actually getting let behind the curtain and being able to play a role in legislative drafting and like editing and then lobbying the bill and all that stuff. 
And so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm living proof that if you'll just put your mind to it and have like almost you know, seven, you got to have a business plan on how, how you're going to attack a, how you're going to attack a subject, who you're going to contact first. And you've got to just be willing to look stupid and make mistakes and, and all that. But it's, I would say this, I think, and I've, I've heard several of them say this, getting 10 emails to them would be like, would be the equivalent of like a hundred people out on the street telling them. 10 emails because it's documentable. Because, yeah, because documentable, it's just like. In the email, you say, this is my name. This is where I live. This is what what I support, so that you're you're kind of going on record, really yeah. saying this is exactly who I am. I'm taking ownership of this. This is what I support. Yep. Keep up the good work. Yep. And so you can actually call the legislative hotline, and you can ask them to to notify all, you know, either all legislators to support a bill or to not support a bill. They'll ask you where you live and all that stuff because some of them will actually will actually sort their their support and not support uh, spreadsheets based on their own constituents, and so. I always tell people just to let everyone know, just to say let all legislators know. But like it's always, it is always good to to make those calls as well. But then the email is is a is a personal touch, and we all again, I think it's one thing people got to do is just be able to personalize it and say, okay, in our own email, what makes our email feel cluttered? I mean, if I if I wake up and have twenty five unread emails, I'm like, oh my god. And so if if you are someone who wanted those emails and you wanted public support and you wanted public input and you woke up and okay, twenty five emails was was gonna was like jam packing your your inbox from a bad standpoint. What's gonna the scrolling's the same if even if it's people that you want to hear from. And so getting a hundred emails is basically if, if they can get a hundred emails on a, on a, on an issue, even people that disagree with your with your position are going to are going to reconsider and at least be like, well, am I missing something? So if someone's listening and they like the idea of maybe you're not a fan of public schools, but it's part of, you know, it's just kind of part of, of, of life in Kentucky and you want to make them safer, this is a call to action. This could be something you do is send an email to uh, Savannah Maddox, let her know to keep up the good fight exactly. about the specific uh, bill. Exactly. And I don't know. I'm not sure if she's even filed a bill this this session to tell them what bill number that would be. And it's called Campus Carry. But it'd be Campus Carry is what they I hate to focus all on that, but that sounds like a... Yeah, yeah. And it's a very libertarian, libertarian minded, you know, bill and position. I think most Republicans in Kentucky, too, are completely pro stuff like that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would... Maybe not. Here's the deal with Kentucky is we were were literally a Democrat-controlled state until... I think seven or eight years ago, I think it flipped in in 2015. So until 2014, we were Democrat-controlled legislature and what and happened? Governor's mansion. I think it's that's right. Whenever you know the Trump, the Trumpism, the, the kind of the populist revolt, social conservative revolt. I think that the left just went so far on a like we're going safe to r- say they got a little carried away. We're going right after your kids. You know, yeah. it's when the gender revolution that started. was a little much. Like the Marxism and co- and all that stuff started really permeating in you know in schools. And it started to be started to be this flamboyant almost, and so, um, you know. But even at that point, you know, I, I know we did just elect a Democratic governor. Here's what I'll say to that, and it, and this isn't a popular opinion, and I don't, I don't know Daniel Cameron. I never, I never met him, and that to me that gives me a little bit of pause because at this point, as a civilian, I've I've pretty much met anybody anybody worth meeting in in politics in the state. I've met them. I've shook hands with them. Probably talked with him on the phone, and so I live like, but not Daniel Cameron. I live in the same county as he is, and like I, you know, I, I don't know if I ever even shook his hand. So it's like, I, maybe I know it's, maybe he, it's because of the level he got to. But I know I, where he lives. Actually, he lives <laughs> not far from here. I was yeah. thinking he did. Yeah, um, but like, I'm not even sure how healthy it is to to own all three 
you know, or all the branches of government. You know what I mean? The main thing I'm worried about controlling at a state or federal level oh, okay. is the legislative branch. That's where that's where So you're not anti Daniel Cameron, you're just saying, you know, who knows? Maybe it's not that big of a deal that he lost. If he would have gotten elected, it wouldn't have made my job any easier or any harder. Wow. Okay. You know, as far as like getting because we I mean, we we have eighty percent of the legislature there. I would even argue that we wouldn't be in we wouldn't be in bad shape if we we're down to 70 30 in the in the house because again it's like not all republicans are created equal there's some republicans that literally run on a republican ticket solely because they know running as a democrat in their county they wouldn't get elected but they really are democrats at heart yeah you know and so and like especially from like a social socially social conservative standpoint from a public school standpoint they literally think there's no problems in public schools you know and so uh you know, it's like we, they need more money. They do. They, the only problem is they need more they, money, they need, more, they, money, they need more, more money, more money. Yo, ex- exactly. And so, you know, from a school choice standpoint, which is something I'm like heavily pushing, you know, right now is like there will be Republicans that are just as anti school choice as there are Democrats. You know what I mean? And so, but, but even from that standpoint, I try to be the voice of like of the, of the average Kentucky. And I think the biggest fear that people have for school choice in Kentucky is just that it's going to be a handout for, for rich people. You know, like when we talk about the money following the kid in this state, the issue with that is they're eating a lot of money to follow a lot of kids. Most people don't pay that much that that much in state tax. So school choice <laughs> suggests that you're going to only get the amount of money that you pay in state tax. Well, there are, there are people that are that are of of that mind that I, just I I wasn't familiar with that version of it. I you, we should do more episodes, but in a future episode, I would like for you to educate me on what school choice even is because I think I have an understanding, but I I don't think it's a very good understanding. I mean, well, like, the, the fat thing is, like, from an understanding standpoint, there are so many different versions of it, and okay, what, okay. what it means, okay. and like, again, what what language actually gets into the into the legislation. And in Kentucky, we have a constitutional, um, like some constitutional problems. We're not uh, there's no money allowed to be spent outside the outside of the, the system of common schools. Um, and there's some religious aspects. You know, it's, it's funny in Kentucky, you would think that we wouldn't have anything like this, but our state constitution specifically says that no money from the state can be spent on on uh, religiously affiliated schools like schools at all and so in a state where you think that we're a pretty religious state especially in the rural areas you think they'd want money being able to go to their their uh you know their local private christian schools or whatever but we specifically say that you can't and the funny thing is that it really has nothing to do with um with those schools it was historically had to do with like catholicism you know the catholic the catholic versus protestant um you know issue was and seven, I think that 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 amendment was passed in 1892. I think is when it was actually passed. So the problem back then was the Rory's didn't like didn't like Catholicism. It okay, had, it had nothing to do with like not wanting their Baptist schools or whatever. There's the interesting history there. I think Bardstown's always been real Catholic, or maybe not not always, but has a long history of Catholicism. Yeah, the history of the Protestant versus Catholic thing, specific to Kentucky, would be an interesting topic too. You know, it, it also would. And another big issue is not not an issue, but another interesting thing is just after living in Louisville for a while and just like seeing the, the Jewish presence here and like hearing, um, oh, you have certain representatives here, Daniel Grossberg. He's one, he's a, he's a Jewish house representative member. Mayor of Louisville. The, yeah. The mayor of Louisville. Yeah. Green, go Greenberg. But they, their focus on the Jewish faith and like what they see as anti, anti, uh, Jewish rhetoric, all that. Like it's interesting for me as a rural guy, because I'll be honest, I don't know if Judaism was, if I don't know if I ever even discussed it. Until, Certainly until didn't experience anti-Semitism. Yeah, because it was because there thing. was no Jews anywhere was, close I mean, to. Like, you. I yeah. mean, it's like we were we're almost ignorant to it. I mean, that's, as far as like feeling ignorant as an adult now, I'm like, man, I didn't even consider like 
that there were Jews in the state at that time. And sure. it wasn't because I was, you know, anti, big anti-Jew. I just sure. didn't even come up in my no, mind. I'm just kidding. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, no. What, like, me talking about this may get me labeled that way. Um, no, no. <laughs> even mentioning uh, the Jewish faith just gets you labeled. Yeah, yeah. They're going to, they're going to like, I'm get, I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on, <laughs> a list, always- I'm on a list now on a spreadsheet somewhere. Um, And so, but you know, the main reason I'd contact you about coming on the show is just that, uh, it's been it's my third year doing this now, and so I've got I've had so much experience now that has happened that, and I I had kind of steered away from any kind of public prominence or anything, and but now it's like I'm getting to the point where I have so much in my head that I'm not going to be able to remember the things to tell people. Huh? Okay. You know what I mean? And so like, in, in in all honesty, it's like the likelihood that I can continue doing this long term when I haven't figured out a way to get paid doing it. <laughs> It's, it's very slim. Okay. So like I'm not. So realistically, to, maybe on a part time basis at some point. Yeah, but it's like I don't. It's like I don't. A lot of people get involved in politics and or 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 in anything for that matter and get to know, let's say, popular people or famous people. They want to hoard those relationships. They don't want to give you their number. They don't want to like allow you to speak to them. They want to be the, they want to be the um the gatekeeper, so to speak. And so I like I'm like the opposite of that. I wish people all day were like, hey. I want to talk to my senator Max Wise. I, you know, do you know how to get in contact with him? I would love to be like, not only will I send you his number, send you their number so you can talk to him. I'll three way you, I'll three way call you, you know, and try to get you in contact with him that way. Because again, it's like I can't do it all by myself, you know, at least long term. You know, like I mean, if I can figure out a way to, if I can figure out a way to get paid doing it, I'm not trying to make millions of dollars or whatever. Then I'd love to continue doing it and continue to be a vessel of helping people get involved. I wonder if there are equivalents of you in other states that get that private donors, things like that. You know, I would I, I would love to be to you know, I know it's just funny we talk about Tim Paul all the time. I told someone a couple years ago, I was like, my goal is I would love to get on and, and so I think I'll turn to the media, that's why I contacted you. I think we gotta I wish our legislators, the people that are involved in politics would would utilize People like yourself and shows like yours that obviously you have to have, you have to have a following to have seven hundred episodes. Somebody's got to be listening. At least some. It's not really that you know. Some of the episodes will get a few hundred listens or something like that. So I mean, it's not that big of a following, but there is at least a little following. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, I wish we would embrace embrace it more. But I mean, if people are listening to this and they know people in other states, I mean, I I, I do at times feel on an island. I mean, it's and like as far as like there's a lot of pressure. You know, several of the at least five or six of the bills that passed this past session were extremely. You know, controversial, and were had language in them that came directly from my like basement. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get and so it's like just having other people to lean on, and you know, I I try to take it serious and and remember that there's human beings on the other end of this stuff. You know, there's I mean, in Kentucky, you got four and a half million people that if you get anything passed, if you get a get an and or a the put in a bill, four and a half million people are going to be subject to that and or or the you know, and so. Mm. Um, I try to take that take that serious, but if there's other citizen activists like my like myself that are in the trenches trying to actually get in the building and not just like be someone who's um, it you know, pinpointing problems and making people aware of problems, but trying to be solutions oriented and getting in the trenches, writing bills and making the calls. And you know, I mean, my wife will tell you she gets annoyed, but it's like last night I got home at nine o'clock. I got a call from a legislator from a legislator at ten thirty. We're sitting there watching a the show on Netflix. I got to, like, pause the show. I'm down in the basement. I got the phone, I think, about 1230. Right. You know, and so it's like it is It is a huge sacrifice, but it's like I, it's one that I I hope there's one, at least one of me in every state. I wish there was more in this state. What sucks, though, is if you started to get private um, 
and I gotta we gotta wrap things up yeah. here soon. But if you started getting private donors, people could start to you you know who knows where those donors coming from would that influence you and you know I, I know that's, 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 a, that's, that's you, you you would be an interesting that uh, is, uh, test that, that case. Is, that is one of the things, and I'm sure there's been people like me that were well intentioned that went down that road and ended up getting roped into this deep state or whatever or the swamp. You know what I mean? And so my 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 heart doesn't want that to happen. Um, you know what I mean? And so. I, I hope that if I can, if I do figure out a way to continue doing this, that I, there's a way for me to do it without just whoring myself out to the to the highest bidder, you know, and actually staying focused on you know li- liberty liberty minded issues. Um, I think constitutional in Kentucky, constitutional issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think in Kentucky, at least from my perspective, if there's two examples of people who are in it for the right reasons on a federal level, we do have Massey and Rand Paul. I think they're both pretty good, in my opinion role models of probably not being as influenced as by money as a lot of other members of oh, Congress. Absolutely. Yeah, the, 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 we, ha- we have two of the best, uh, two of the best um, representatives at a federal level anywhere. I mean, that, that's, that's absolutely, that's absolutely true. And, you know, it's, uh, I hope to one day, you know, get to have a little bit of interaction, you know, with them. And one of my problems is that my wife will tell you I'm bad about like uh, putting myself, I try to not make myself the center of attention. And so even when I'm in a room where I know everyone, like in, with the legislators, I never, I'm never expect them to use my name in other conversations or to, I tell them like, listen, I can't manage your reputation and your rapport with other people. So I don't expect you to manage mine. So don't, don't like throw yourself under the bus and, and like, and get your, make it harder for you to get something passed because I got in a little tiff with the speaker of the house. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's getting to the point now where I've been doing it long enough to where they know that I can like manage the relationships and, as an individual, it is cool. You know, like our legislator people will be on, they're on TV, KET every day. I mean, there's times where I'll, I'll be on the phone with my wife. I'll call her and I'll be like, hey, turn it on KET. The Speaker of the House right now is texting and I can see the bubbles on my phone, you know, where it's about to come through to me. It's a, it's a cool feeling, you know. And whether it be, to be involved in, in be the in, process, that's yeah. not, that and does so, sound cool. And so you're I'll, impacting things. And I do try to, you know, I said, always try to keep keep it focused on the fact that I'm not down there just for just for my kids or you know, for myself or like my, my family, it's like I'm think, I'm trying to think about generational generational impacts and that kind of thing. So uh, I do hope that other people will hear this and want to get involved and, and and contact me. So obviously you can find my show on YouTube or Rumble or you know Apple, all that stuff. But I can also be emailed at jrmc at way too much dot com. I'd love to hear from everybody. And you know, if you want to or if you want to text me six zero six two six nine seven five one six. Anybody that wants to get involved, I welcome anybody, everybody into the and, and I'll. Get you involved with your with your legislators as much as I can, and what if they come in and they say want they want to <laughs> support more gun control? Then I I would hear I would hear them I would hear them out. Okay, you know okay. what I mean. I would hear what they wanted what they want to say, but I'd be like, I'm not your guy. Okay, okay. And there have been times where I've been like involved with other groups, and I'll be like, they'll be talking, and they'll, we'll even we'll agree on things. But yeah, I'm like, that's where. I'm, it's- but I'm like, I know you probably, even though it's a silly, and I know they're they're going against their own best interest. I'll be like, listen. You need to know what I'm about as far as everything else. Go listen to a couple of my shows. Go <laughs> ask around on what I'm down there lobbying for. And, like, I can get what you want done through. I can do it. But, like. I don't want you to think I was being sneaky. Yeah. Or, or it's like, I don't want, like, you need to know who I am. Sure. Because it's going to be attached. It'll be attached to me as well because people are going to know who it was that was but, down there in the building. But also, you um, touching on something like that, having a cross. You, you agree with something, but you disagree with someone on something. You need to let them know too who you are, because they may not know that people like you even exist. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. That, that's that's, that's like, like a Republican who actually cares about it, balancing the budget, and your main issue is uh, schools being real safe. 
Yeah. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, well, listen, and I, you know, even people that aren't Republicans, if anybody's listening that's libertarian or is a registered Democrat, I know all the Democrats. Huh. You know, like from a, uh, back during COVID, that was one, the, a lot of Republicans were uncomfortable with the fact that I, I was like, I'm not trying to railroad anybody with these bills. I actually want to take my story and my message to the people that I know are going to disagree with me so they can try to poke holes in it. But if, if they can't, it, le- it lets me know that it's, it's guided in constitutional principles or the, and the message is, is correct and they know they can't they're not going to be able to go out here and campaign on it because it's like well, how am i going to be able to tell parents i want to make them make their kids wear a mask you know like or oh this guy doesn't think teachers are bad he actually doesn't want teachers to have to be the mask police you know like so um you know the fact that a lot of times with the bills i'm pushing i'll go to the democrats and and talk to them and be like hey i don't i know you're not going to vote for this but i at least want you to know what's being talked about from my standpoint and if this if anything other than what i'm saying is being said it's not coming from the grassroots level. It's coming from the establishment, probably. Okay. You know, and so um, that, that's part of the fun is trying to find p- people that will give you some pushback. And, you know, you, that's how you get good bills passed is by doing that. So, well, well, John Cox, I appreciate you coming on the show. Before we wrap things up, I know you've mentioned a few different things uh, over the course of the episode where people can check out websites and things. But specific to you, if someone's interested in hearing more about what you have to say, can you repeat for us what's your YouTube channel, your podcast, your your Twitter handle? Uh, how can they follow you? So uh, pretty much just go, just Google way too much JRMC, W-A-Y, the number two, M-U-C-H, and then capital J-R-M-C. That's the only, I'm the only person on the on the interwebs that's using that. And so it's, that's my Twitter handle. That's my YouTube channel, all that. But it'll be the first three or four things that pop up on Google will be, will be those will be those items and so but i prefer everybody said follow me on twitter and go to my youtube channel and subscribe that's the primary ways but i am on all the all the podcasting platforms audio from an audio standpoint as well um and so but uh more more than that just i'd love to hear from you and engage with you and and have a conversation with you if this is something that you're interested in getting involved in i love it well thank you very much for coming on i also want to thank everyone for tuning in we will of course have another episode of the kelly patrick show out soon Thank you.